Welcome back to the BTI Science Bomb, the official podcast of the Boyce Thompson Institute, where we make the discoveries in support of agriculture, the environment, and human health. Today, we are joined by Penelope Lindsay, who is a member of BTI's Harrison Lab, and we'll be discussing some of her new research involving fungi plant root symbiosis. We'll also talk to Penelope about her passion for supporting science communication as well as her passion for music. Well, let's not spend any more time on introductions because she's right here in front of me. Penelope, thanks for coming on the Science Bomb. Yeah, and thanks so much for having me. I look forward to sharing a bit about my experience as a scientist. Well, you have lots of great experience. Give us a quick overview of the research you're doing right now in Maria Harrison's lab. Okay, great. Yeah, so what I study is a symbiosis that's called arbuscular mycorrhizal symbiosis, and that's quite a mouthful, but for those (laughs) who are not aware of of this um, symbiosis, this exists between about 80% of land plants and a particular kind of fungi. And so these fungi reside in the soil and grow into the plant root, where um, once they're inside the root, um, nutrient exchange can occur between the plant and the fungus. And so this is a really old friendship. You can think of it in that way. (laughs) It's existed for 400 million years. That goes back. Yeah. They, so. they know each other well. <laughs> they know each other very well. And so I've had roommates I can only stand for about 6 months, so they they're doing pretty they're doing well there. Yeah, and so the the hallmark of any kind of really old friendship is having really good boundaries between the the two um, friends. And so the plant and the fungus both have um, a lot of signaling events or communication events that are occurring between the two partners. And there's um, a lot of other regulators of this phenomenon. So that's what I'm really interested in. Great. So let's now go back a ways and talk about what, when was it that you realized science was going to be a focus for you? When did the light bulb go off and say, this is something that I want to pursue. Were you always kind of interested in science-y kind of things as a kid and it just kept going? Yeah, so I've always been pretty interested in science, I think. Uh, I even recently encountered this little book that I had of <laughs> uh this picture of me with a with a lab notebook as a child being like, aha, I found the recipe. <laughs> Not quite the right terminology for um, protocol there, but getting there. Yeah. Uh, but actually, I come from a family of artists. So I was always interested in both art and science. And it wasn't until I was in college, actually, that I really decided that I would pursue the science path. Hmm. Um, And so I became really interested in plant science as an undergrad. Uh, I first was introduced, you know, in my introductory biology class, but then um, had the opportunity to do an RU um, at 
UC Riverside with Linda Walling, where she, and Linda Walling studies plant insect interactions, and I really loved loved it. So after that, I decided I wanted to um, pursue graduate studies in plant biology. And where did you do your undergrad? So I did my undergrad at New College of Florida, which is a small liberal arts college that's in Florida. And that was also a really great experience for me because that college really focuses on independent research there. And in that college, I was able to get my hands in a lot of um, different research, though most of it actually involved C. elegans, which is a okay. tiny worm model. Right. Um, we do some of that here at BTI. That's true, yeah. And it's kind of ironic yeah. that I work down the hall from uh, Frank Schroeder's lab now. Right. But. So was your family concerned? Were the, say, Penelope, wait a minute, we're artists. What are you, we're, You're going down this mad scientist path yeah. we don't even know you anymore <laughs> yeah my family has always been really supportive That's of good. me which is great but yeah it's uh kind of funny because i i think a lot of times people sort of have the opposite experience where their family you know might be doing something more traditional yeah. um and then they're like i'm gonna rebel and be an artist so right. here it's more about i'm gonna become a scientist and um <laughs> It's been it's been nice though because I I feel like having that upbringing um, really gives me um, perhaps a, a different perspective I guess and like the approach to science and yeah, yeah sort of my interests um, with with outreach and, and communicating to my science to people who are not scientists. So, well, certainly yeah. that's becoming a larger topic, right? The mm-hmm. the need to talk about your work and to engage an audience in what you're doing and kind of raise the profile of research. In some ways, uh, this this pushback against the truth is unfortunate, yeah. but at the same time, it, it requires amplification of some of the outreach that you, you are doing. No, it's, it's really true. I think now more than ever, um, scientists really need to advocate for themselves and um you know a critical component of that is reaching um you know a, bro- a broader audience both policymakers and just you know everyone because yeah. i i think that the people who who elect policymakers are are very important to reach yeah yeah no absolutely and your work in particular i think would be of great interest to most people if they were able to actually wrap their their head around it, which is a nice transition into my next question. You kind of gave us a little bit of an overview of your work and the symbiosis between the plants and and the fungi. How would you, you know, in some of your outreach, I imagine you've had to push yourself to do this. How do you explain your work to someone that, or someone's that really kind of lack a science aptitude? Yeah, and this is a question that I still ask myself, even <laughs> I, I think I, I've definitely had some practice with it, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I think it's really, you know, I can share the, the bigger picture, which is um, this really old 
symbiosis that's existing between plants and fungi. Um, and I think it's it's also important to stress the agricultural significance of it as well, because yeah. um, the fungi are able to really effectively capture nutrients from the soil, which is uh, great because... Uh, Current agricultural practices rely really heavily on um, fertilizer application to be able to sustain yields, but um, one nutrient that the fungi are really good at grabbing from the soil called phosphorus is actually a finite resource, and it's being rapidly mined. So within the next 100 years or so, um, if we're continuing to use this phosphorus rock at the same rate, um, our most easily accessible resources or reserves of it will be gone. Uh, so we really need to think about ways to most efficiently use this nutrient. And it's a little bit unfortunate because even though um, we're rapidly using this nutrient, um, when we apply it to the soil, um, it a lot of the, the nutrients actually don't even make it to the plant. They end up um, being run off um, and can pollute water sources. So it's really not not the most efficient thing. So if we can use this symbiosis to grab the, the nutrients, that's great. <laughs> and for those unfamiliar with BTI's location, which maybe we don't mention enough, which is right here in Ithaca, New York, we are seeing that problem locally in New York's Finger Definitely, Lakes. Yeah. With you know, I as someone with a young family, I go to the lake a lot. In the last two summers, we've had uh, swimming areas closed because of harmful algal blooms. So tell us a little bit about you know how what you're doing influences that problem that I think more and more communities are starting to take yeah. notice of. So if we can um, use these these fungi um, in agricultural practices, it will sort of minimize the amount of fertilizer that we need to apply to the soils. And then uh, that will lead to less runoff and less of these algae blooms and eutrophication is, is uh, what we call it too. Um, because yeah, just, as you mentioned, it's um, really kind of negatively impacting us and many different ways not even are we not able to use it for fun like water sources for fun but also it really decimates the um the lake's uh natural ecosystem mm. a lot of fish will end up dying and it totally alters the, the ecosystem balance when you have this these algae blooms that are uh being produced yeah and i think for some people their reaction might be well Penelope, you're talking 100 years in the future. We're, we're good for 100 years. I'm good then. You know, but these are the situations where you know research is very important because it's our job to be looking to the future. So do you ever come up against that? People say, well, that's a long-term problem. You know, how much do we have to worry about that right now? Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's it's critical that we, we think about the future and particularly because, you know, the estimates that we have are just based off of our current usage, but uh, global populations are only increasing. Absolutely. And so um, you can definitely imagine that any kind of projections that we have um, – you know, might be a best case scenario. And, right. you know, it, it, I think even if you are a, a short-term thinker, 
yeah. <laughs> uh, it's still it's still really important that we we are able to to use um, our existing uh, soils yeah as efficiently as possible. Well, maybe a good comparison is imagine if we were serious about climate change fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. What would what would we be dealing with now, or what would we not be dealing with? now perhaps yeah i'm not a climate scientist so i can't say for sure that things would be a whole lot better but it seems most people seem to agree uh this is a problem we could have been out ahead of more but people weren't really listening um you know in the 60s 70s when you know i think the epa wasn't even founded right until the 70s so yeah it was pretty yeah it was a pretty recent development and i think that um you know that's a great point and the sooner that we can implement um, different changes, even one person at a time or, you know, one farm at a time, the, the more that will start to, um, have a ripple effect where more people will, will get involved. I think, um, you know, one example of that perhaps is even the simple example of people kind of switching from using bottled water to more, um, you know, bringing their own cup or, or bottle with them. I think, you know, you can see that, a definitely a shift in attitude with with that practice even mm-hmm. within the last 10 years so if that can sort of extend to many other things that's that's really great so and like you said i think a lot of that sometimes comes down to communication and, and how you message it mm-hmm. i watched a ted talk recently that was all about you know getting people to care about things in this particular example was about sustainability and the example the presenter gave was if you go to someone's house and you analyze their house for air leaks, you know, like trying to make their heating more efficient, and you tell them, well, you have, you know, a leak here, a leak there. You point out maybe like half a dozen places where they're letting air in. People might be like, oh, well, that doesn't seem so bad. But then if you tell them that there's essentially a hole in their house the size of a basketball, all of a sudden they're like, wow, that sounds really bad. You know, I, I sh- yes, I should probably address that. I'm letting a basketball-sized amount of air in and out of my house. Yeah, no, it's not It's not great. So. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, so you've done, uh, you know, uh, tell us, uh, I guess, one thing we didn't touch upon is how you found your way from undergraduate to Cornell and BTI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I guess my my undergraduate advisor, uh, she who is uh, the um, person that I worked with with C. Elegans, actually did her graduate work at Cornell, and so okay. that was kind of what inspired me, I guess, to to apply to Cornell's program. And I had looked into all of the um, graduate programs that were had, um, a lot of strength in plant biology. And of course, uh, Cornell and BTI are, um, you know, some, it's one of the best places to, to work for the plant sciences. So I decided to apply and, um, yeah. And I guess the rest is kind of history, (laughs) but yeah. Right. Well, so of all the research you've been a part of and, times your name has appeared on author lines and things like that is there any particular piece of research to date that you've been especially proud to be part of or you know is there, I know you're you're kind of just getting going in your career in many ways but to date has there been kind of a something that you really kind of hang your head on as it was really great to be part of this particular release 
Yeah, so um, I guess for me, science is so much about um, collaboration and、mm -hmm. cooperation and sort of what your work is able to contribute to a greater.、Um, A greater good or a greater advancement, and I think that my individual contributions have yet to be <laughs> published. They're coming soon,、yeah. so stay tuned because there are things that I am very excited to to share、um, in terms of the communication between the plant and the fungus. So,、uh, yeah, like I said, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> well, another good segue because my next question is.、Uh, Actually, right after I came to BTI, one of the first things I remember us reporting on when I took this job was your fellowship, your USDA NIFA fellowship.、Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that came to be, and so that was December 2016. <laughs> and what have you been able to do with that opportunity? Yeah, so I've been immensely grateful to have received this、uh, NIFA fellowship. From the USDA, I actually just last week was at a meeting、um, for the NIFA fellows, and it was an awesome experience because I feel like it really、um, made me reflect a lot on everything that the the fellowship was able to sort of allow me to do. And so,、um, first of all, I think that the the whole process was really helpful because.、Um, You have to write a short proposal about your research, and it's really a lot like actually applying for、um, a grant,、um, which is a great experience because I'm still、um, interested in、um, eventually pursuing a career in academia. And so,、um, after that, I think. Um, it's been great because、uh, I haven't had to teach as much anymore, and I love teaching. But、um, it's nice to be able to focus more energy onto、um, research to to get those papers out. And、I've、that's one of our favorite ways to sell BTI. <laughs> yeah, come to BTI research without the teaching. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it's、uh, yeah, which it, it's nice to be able to to focus and.、Um, Even though I have been focusing on research, I've、um, through this fellowship, it's allowed me to、uh, do some one-on-one -on -one mentoring. So I've had、um, two undergraduate students who have been a great help to me、um, with my research, and it's also allowed me to dedicate、um, a bit of time to some other professional development activities. So. This October, I'm、um, planning a science communication workshop with students from Tokyo, which will be great. And、yeah. um, it will be a three-day workshop. And at the end, we're actually going to present the results of our、um, science communication skills to、um, to the public. So that should be lots、great. of fun.、Um, Where is that happening? So it's going to be happening in Ithaca.、Okay. So the the workshop itself will be held on campus, and then、um, the the event at, to the public will be at、uh, Liquid State, I think. Oh, awesome! So that will be lots of fun because then people can relax and you know. More informally, talk with、uh, the the people presenting. For、products. those listening from out of town, Liquid State is a relatively new brewery. Yeah. In Ithaca, New York. So, if you want to come to town and hear science, and have some fine、uh, craft brew, 
What an opportunity. Yeah, and it will be, yeah, this event's going to end up being co-hosted with uh, with Science Cabaret, which is uh, oh, kind of a long-standing, um, more informal way to interact with, with scientists. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think yeah it's been it's been an awesome I've been really grateful to have this fellowship and um it will also be great for me as I take the next step um apply for a postdoc because I think have um I I'd also like to apply for my own funding at that time as well and um already having experience with that is is awesome so So that goes right into the Next question I would have, which was kind of what do you see as the the future? Ideally, what would kind of be your future trajectory of your career? Yeah, so I'd like to pursue a career in academia because I think that it will best combine my interests with um, research, which I still have a very keen um, uh, interest in, and will additionally allow me to continue to educate people and um I've sort of sustained my passion for both teaching and also um, different types of outreach um, activities and especially being able to form connections um, with scientists to the broader community, I think, is really important because we tend to be a little bit closed in our labs and, mm-hmm. um, you know, with good reason because we're doing lots of research. But I think the the more that we can connect with people directly the more people understand what we're doing and um you know the more you have less of this uh them versus them versus us kind of like right. dynamic if if you know what i mean by that yeah and so. getting into the ithaca community is actually a very uh interesting opportunity because while we are an academic type community there is what I would call some unfortunate skepticism towards some scientific practices, especially with regards to biotechnology. Hmm. So I think it's an interesting place to kind of test that communication mission. You know, can you can you make some progress in educating or even changing the minds of some of those people who might be skeptical? Yeah. Of science. I don't think too many people would argue with what you're doing, though. <laughs> yeah, although some elements, you know, as a as a plant geneticist, I mm-hmm. do work with GMOs, for example, and mm-hmm. so um, I think it's that's something that I've definitely tried to advocate for is just the idea that GMOs are tools, and um, you know, it's all about how we use them um, because I actually, um, yeah, when I was younger um my mom actually was was opposed to gmos and Mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting that now i work with them um but i've had many conversations with her about um you know how they're not really evil like they're not going to i don't know mutate you like things like that um and after that after those experiences it's been she's she's had a much more balanced understanding of what the technology is so it does make a difference well i think it go- that is one example that i think really goes back to the the idea of the importance of science communication uh i didn't really 
take a deep dive into the GMO issue before working here mm-hmm. and learning more about how we use them at BTI. As just uh, an everyday citizen, though, you're really only getting a message from the anti-side. You know, it is unless you're going after it, you know, my social media news feeds and stuff just as an, as an everyday person, I'm not getting a lot of GMO advocacy right. in those channels. It's it's very much the extreme, oh, watch this Netflix documentary, you know, you know, look at this horrible meme of syringes and in, poking into fruits and vegetables, <laughs> yeah. you know. So it's like, it's, it's like, wow, yeah, this is, this is scary, right? So there's, yeah. that's the, that's the, you know, so that's. Where I look at those things and I say, on, on one hand, uh, science has to communicate more often and engage uh, w- with the audience at a deeper level. On the other hand, I also want scientists focused on their research too, you know. So yeah. the more you expect scientists to be out there, the less they're in their labs doing what they're really skilled at doing. So it's a it's a tough balance. No, it, it really is a delicate balance, I think. And um, there definitely are many scientists who out there right now who are recognizing the importance of advocating their um, work to to the public and you see it on Twitter but I think that there's a couple of different elements at play with that and you know of course the number one is that we are you know dedicating most of our time to actually researching in the right. lab um, but another one is that we're taught as scientists to um, argue with facts with with you know things that we can show or demonstrate mm-hmm. directly and i think it can be difficult to use that approach to counter a lot of arguments that are very much um, emotional appeals yeah. to people right. and so um finding a way to really effectively engage people um while at the same time arguing with with facts is mm-hmm. is a challenge for scientists right now i think in general, it's a tough time for facts. Yeah. It really is. It's becoming true. a tougher and tougher time for facts. Uh, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Penelope, you also have been involved with the BTI PGS, Postgraduate Society. Tell us a little bit about why you got involved in that, You know why you've been an advocate for that organization. Yeah, so I've been involved with PGS for most of my PhD career, and I think it's an awesome um, society. It's uh, with PhD students, postdocs, anyone um, at BTI who wants to get involved, essentially. And uh, we're really active with organizing various events, both um, seminars. um, We organize an annual BTI symposium. Um, and other types of professional development events that allow people to see what it's like to um, have a career outside of academia, for example. Um, And so, yeah, I've been involved with different elements of that for for a while now. Um, But right now I'm organizing the Distinguished Lecturer Series, where we invite um, two high-profile scientists per year that are of interest to the BTI community. So, um, I yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. We're up to so many different things, whether it's, um, I think, another um, sort of recent development is the 
um, development of this mentor-mentee relationship um, between BTI alumni and current BTI researchers, which allows um, current BTI researchers to um, ask a mentor more in-depth questions about what their particular career is like, whether that's industry, policy, or traditional academic careers as well. So. Yeah, it just seems like networking is becoming an increasingly important part of a career, pursuing a career in science. It's a definitely. competitive field, and so it seems like there's a lot of value there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, I think that through PGS, I've been able to meet some really amazing scientists um, outside of BTI and Cornell and also within BTI and Cornell as well. Um, Just getting to know everyone here a a lot better too, which has been really awesome. So great. My final questioning is, is all about uh, you and your, your life outside of science. We don't want to uh, infringe too much on your personal life, but I'm always curious to know when you're, when you're not in the lab, what, what are the, kind of hobbies and other activities you you like doing yeah so when i'm not in the lab um my sort of secondary passion is with music and you know although i've chosen the science path my fam my artist family is still (laughs) strong in me so um i yeah and i've always really loved music so um I've had a radio show at the community radio station, um, WRFI, where I um, play my favorite music, which has been really a nice thing. I do that on Saturday nights. Um, And I also do um, make my own electronic music as well, um, which... I think is is really nice. It's kind of like a catharsis from yeah. you know the the everyday research. So yeah, it's it's good to have hobbies. I think outside of the lab. And do you perform publicly any of your music? I do every now and then. <laughs> um, as I approach uh, the end of my PhD, my public appearances are fewer and fewer. But <laughs> that happens. <laughs> but. Um, but I do enjoy uh, performing as well. So, <laughs> Great. Well, that's Saturday night, WRFI. Mm-hmm. I believe WRFI is available online. It is, yeah. So you if you want to hear Penelope mm-hmm. spinning the LPs, yeah. so to speak, uh, that's where you can go. Yeah. And, well, thank you very much for joining us. And will you be uh, bringing music to the Liquid State Communication Workshop, or are you going to keep that strictly science? I think that one will be strictly science. Okay. It's a good yeah. venue for breaking into it's true. a musical yeah. act, I think. No, so. and I am always thinking of ways to integrate art and science together, but not with that one, I haven't quite worked it out yet. <laughs> I have another idea for that event. Maybe build in a skee-ball tournament, because Liquid State has skee-ball, that's and that's true. always fun. Yeah. Anybody can participate in skee-ball. That's true. Skee-ball and science, I yeah. think that's a winning combination. That sounds great. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and uh, if you want to learn more about Penelope's work, uh, BTI Science slash Harrison, I believe is the URL that you can go to, and that's the Harrison Lab that Penelope's working out of. Do you have any other web presences that we can find your work at? So um, I do have a Twitter, which okay. I think is becoming increasingly popular with the scientists. Um, the 
my username is pen lindsay which is my name um and yeah i think that those are the two main um areas right now but okay um, and will you be appearing at any conferences or you know speaking engagements or anything anytime in the near future not in the near future i i just spoke at aspb in montreal a couple of weeks ago and was at this other meeting in washington dc for the usda nifa fellows so gonna lay low (laughs) focus on my research but keep an eye out for my publication my premier publication (laughs) all right well we will make sure that is well broadcasted okay Well, Penelope, thank you so much. Thanks for everything you're doing to support agriculture and uh, improving the 400 million year relationship (laughs) below our feet. And for also trying to advance the careers of our scientists here at BTI. And for keeping us entertained on Saturday night. So you are really doing a lot for society. You should feel very good at what you've accomplished so far. Thank you very much. And thanks so much for allowing me the opportunity to talk. Absolutely. Come back anytime. Well, best of luck with your forthcoming publication. We look forward to reading it and sharing it with everyone. And thank you all for listening. Not sure how you're listening, but just remember, you can listen to us via SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, Google Play. And if you want us to be somewhere that we aren't, let us know. Email us at bti underscore com, C-O-M-M, at cornell.edu. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Check back next month for another episode of The Science Bomb.